Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. What have been some of your most recent experiences of feeling out of control? Some experiences of feeling out of control have a way of highlighting something deep inside of us that needs healing, growth, change. We say or do things, something that reveals how tightly we cling to control. Whatever it is that we do reveals something. Uh, possibly our desire to do other people's thinking for them. It might reveal an enmeshed relationship or a detached relationship or the way we want to handle power in the relationship, uh, the way we relate to money, the way we relate to God, the way we relate to possessions or our body or knowledge and information. So some experiences of feeling out of control highlight something that needs healing. Other experiences of feeling out of control have a way of creating the conditions where that healing, that growth, that change that we need can actually happen. The American Psychological Association defines control as authority, power, or influence over events, behaviors, situations, or people. Renowned psychologist Abraham Maslow put control at the most basic level of human need in his hierarchy of needs. Uh, his, His base level is physiological needs and safety needs, and he put control under that safety category. He looked at what happens when humans feel that literally everything in their life is chaotic, unstable, uncertain, dangerous, and they really struggle to thrive because these are just basic needs. So why? Why do we have such an intense desire to be in control? Well, underneath every motivation to have control, we find an awareness that this world really isn't the way that we would like it to be. It's not like we feel like it should be. It's not as it was created to be. This world is more chaotic, more unpredictable, more uncertain, more dangerous than we would like it to be. And So talk about anxiety, all creation groans. And so we crave that feeling of control, that feeling that things aren't just happening to us, but that we have some level of power and influence and we can affect the outcome. So uh, a quick discussion or reflection question um, 
in our gathering on Sunday, we chatted about this in groups. Think about situations where you have felt out of control or where you felt a strong urge to control things. What emotions were playing underneath that urge to feel in control? And did chasing after control lead to feeling more control? Why or why not? So take a moment and reflect on that, chat about that. Today we are using the story of Zachariah and his months of silence as a way of reflecting on our own experiences of feeling out of control and our own drives for control. So as we read Luke's gospel here in just a minute, I invite you to reflect on this question. What is the growing edge of faith for an old priest? A man who we are told was blameless, just, righteous, observing all the Lord's commands. We're talking about a guy of lifelong faith, immersed in Israel's scriptures, appointed as a teacher of the people of Israel, an interpreter of scripture, responsible for the spiritual life of others, someone from a long line of Israel's priests who could trace his family vocation all the way back to Moses's brother Aaron. What is the growing edge of faith for someone like this? So let's read his story. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
Zachariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him, or were already calling him, after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and justice, righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew, and he became strong in spirit, And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Now, I want to say at the outset that I do not view Zachariah's story as a story of punishment. I view it as a story of healing. And as you reflect on your own experiences of feeling out of control, I would say the same thing. Your story's not meant to be a story of punishment, but of healing. Remember, some experiences of feeling out of control have that way of revealing something, something deep inside that needs healing and growth and change. For Zechariah, 
with all of his blamelessness, his justice, his righteousness, following God's commandments, something deep inside of Zachariah needed God's healing and growth and change, and that something had to do with control. There's no way of knowing, and yet I wonder about Zachariah's motivation for all the rule following. Was it completely out of love for God and others? Or was it out of a need for control? Or was it mixed? Zachariah's first experience, or one of his earlier experiences of feeling out of control, involved infertility. Praying for a child for decades, waiting with anticipation and hope month after month, year after year, and experiencing the inability to have a child. Out of control. Social stigma, shame, judgment. Zachariah had no control over what his community whispered about him or about his wife. And his experience of infertility involved very real fears about who's going to take care of us when we get old. And it all came to a head in what should have been the high point of Zachariah's life. As Zachariah was told that the God of the universe had been hearing his prayers and was about to do something about it, Zechariah put his desperate drive for control on full display. Instead of rejoicing, he said to the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? Suddenly, what had been more hidden came to the surface. Can you hear the drive for control there? How can I be sure of this when he's being told that his prayers have been heard and are being answered? It's this drive to think for God and make decisions for God and control the outcome as if maybe God made a mistake in sending Gabriel and should have come himself, or maybe God made a mistake in not answering these prayers for a child years ago, or Maybe God just couldn't be trusted. How can I be sure of this? Zechariah was tr- grasping in some way for control. Now, was Zechariah aware of his drive to control things that were outside of his control? Sometimes our drive to control things is kind of in our blind spot. It's, it's like we don't realize that what we're doing is trying to control the situation until it turns into some kind of a collision. Sometimes in my life, sometimes in your life, we come face to face with just how much we want to control the outcome and control other people, control the situation. Sometimes you reveal just how much you want to do other people's thinking for them how much you want to control the conclusions that they come to. Sometimes you reveal just how enmeshed your relationships are with others or how quickly you will jump to cut a relationship off if you can't control someone else. Somehow, when you reveal that, it's like God makes your effort to control things into a moment that echoes, a moment that you can't escape. It turns into a collision, not so much with others as with yourself. It's like 
you're chasing after more and more and more control, but you are feeling more and more out of control. And this is kind of what was going on with Zachariah. For nine plus months, Zachariah got to listen to the echo of his last controlling words. How can I be sure of this? And for nine plus months, these were his last words. Now, God has a million ways of bringing you face to face with how much you want to control, how much you're trying to control people or things outside of your control. And somehow life comes to a standstill around that thing or that person that you're trying to control. And as much as you don't want to face your control issues and the underlying anxiety that's fueling it, and as much as you want to be able to say, no, I've been blameless, I've been righteous, I'm following God's commands, as much as you want that, God has a million ways of causing your controlling words and actions to ring over and over in your ears. And when you find yourself in that kind of an experience, it's very easy to play the victim card. It's very easy to feel like God is punishing me. God is making my life even worse. But you're not in the midst of a punishment. You are in the midst of a healing if you are open to it. So another reflection question, another discussion question. Why? Why does it sometimes require an inescapable experience, an echoing experience, if you will, or a collision with self to finally come face to face with how much we're trying to control things outside of our control? So take a few minutes and reflect on that, chat about that. Zechariah had been for a child for decades. Certainly, Zechariah had always dreamed of having a little Zechariah Jr. and taking him to the temple to teach him how to become a priest. And I say little Zechariah Jr. because that's the way things worked. In that time, in that culture, in that place, you name your, especially your firstborn, they're named after the father. Everyone knew the expectation for Zachariah's son, if he ever had a son. The expectation was, of course, he's supposed to become a priest who works in the temple. He comes from a long, long line of priests. His dad, his grandpa, his great-grandpa, his great-great-great-grandpa, on and on and on. They've all been priests. That's the way it works. In fact, some church history accounts have it that Zechariah himself was not just priest, but high priest, which would only make the pressure and the expectation that much greater. So whatever the case, everyone knew the drill. At the age of seven or eight, 
This little child that was born would be taken from the world of his mother and from his home. And not that he wouldn't live at home at all, but during daytime hours, at that age, a child, uh, especially a male child, would be thrust into the world of his father's vocation, in this case, into the world of priestly education, preparation. So he would start to learn, how does the temple run? How does it function? Uh, he would start to learn about priestly garments that no one else in the land wore. The ephah, the robe, the woven tunic, the turban, the sash of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen. He'd start to learn about sacrifices of thanksgiving, sacrifices of atonement. He'd learn about what priests eat that no one else can eat, the special parts of the sacrificed rams and the unleavened bread from the wave offerings, etc. He'd start to learn about anointing oil and incense and learn about uh, how to help people who are making vows to God. He'd start learning about how to inspect offerings and pronounce priestly blessings and how to inspect people for leprosy and other uh, inspections for clean or unclean. Start to learn how to read and write, learn scripture and how to interpret scripture and learn about genealogies and keeping genealogies. This is this is just the, the expected path for this child's life, little Zachariah Jr. But the story takes a very shocking turn. See, everyone, yeah, they expect him to be called Zachariah Jr. Because Zachariah couldn't talk, they're actually, this, the text says, they're kind of already calling him that. But at the naming ceremony, um, where the father, it's, it's a big deal, it's a community event. It's where the father takes responsibility for this child. Uh, they, they all think, of course, this is going to be Zachariah Jr. Because children, especially firstborn sons, they were given names related to their father, the family at large. But they hear, no, he's supposed to be named John. And immediately their response is like, what? There's no one among your relatives who has that name. But that's not even the real shock. That begins to show us something that has changed in Zechariah's heart. But even more shocking is John the son's break from the family vocation and the family history. Luke 1 verse 80, And the child grew and became strong in spirit and lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. In the honor-shame culture of the first century, this twist in the story would have stood out like a sore thumb. What? Like, instead of being in the temple, wearing the priestly special clothing and eating the priestly food and growing and becoming strong and learning until he became a priest. We're told this child grew and became strong in the spirit and lived in the wilderness, in the boonies. As we spend more and more time with John and learn about what he did as an adult, we'll see how radical he became. Matthew's gospel tells us 
His clothing was made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and he was eating locusts and wild honey. Like, just to be clear, according to everyone's expectations, this child is named the wrong name, he's growing up in the wrong place, he's learning the wrong vocation, he's wearing the wrong clothes, he's eating the wrong food. And so the question is, like, how could Zechariah allow this to happen? That's the control question. How could Zechariah allow this child to become someone other than who he had always dreamed of his son becoming? And how could he allow his son to become someone other than who all of his relatives and friends, his neighbors, his community thought that his son should become? How in the world was Zechariah supposed to hand his son a rich story of faith while also handing him an opportunity to make that faith his own. Parenting has a way of bringing our control issues to the surface, and everything kind of kicks up a notch. There was a a study at Utrecht University in the Netherlands that shows this definite correlation between parents who view their child as an extension of themselves and how likely they are to hope that their child will fulfill their own broken dreams and failed ambitions. The title of the study is My Child Redeems My Broken Dreams on Parents Transferring Their Unfulfilled Ambitions onto Their Child. And So basically what the study found uh, is that parents who view their child as an extension of themselves, also happen to be the same parents who are filled with hopes that their child can somehow fulfill their own failed ambitions. And so in these enmeshed relationships, these parents attempt to live vicariously through their children. They're trying to control in the lives of their children what they were unable to control in their own lives. They're transferring their own unfulfilled ambitions onto their children. So, are you beginning to see in Zachariah's story how Zachariah's relationship to control somehow found healing during these months of silence? Like, could the Zachariah who said, how can this be true, could that guy, if nothing changed, could he have allowed his son to just go live in the wilderness and do something completely different than becoming a priest? Zachariah somehow had to come to terms with how much he could not control. Zachariah couldn't control how God chose to do things or when. Zachariah couldn't control who his son ultimately became. He couldn't control what his community thought of his son, or of him, for that matter. But he could control whether or not he obeyed what God told him to do. Like, this kid's name is John. I was told his name is John. His, I'm going to name him John. He could control whether or not he caught the anxiety and the pressure of his community about who his son is supposed to become. He could control whether or not he allowed his son the freedom to become who God had created him to be. He could control whether or not he celebrated his son's connection to God and how that journey unfolded, 
even if it was different than what he anticipated. He could control whether or not he trusted that God is truly a rescuing God, a listening God, a God who comes to his people, a God who forgives, a God who guides us into paths of peace. Let's shift here from looking at Zechariah to look at our own hearts, uh, our life. Consider how much right now is outside of your control. You can't control the vast majority of circumstances that you encounter. You can't control the weather, even though we've had some beautiful days lately and some kind of chilly ones. You, you can't completely control your health. You have some control, but not complete control there. You can't control the future. You can't control what other people think of you and how they treat you. You can't control the conclusions that other people come to and how they choose to live their life. You can't control the choices other people make, big or small, who they choose to marry, whether or not they stay married, uh, what they choose to value or believe, how they spend their time, how they spend their money. You can't control who your children become. If you happen to have children, you can't control God. But this doesn't mean that God has just left us powerless. God has given us agency and influence. There's a vast difference between control and agency, influence. You do have the capacity to follow the conviction and the leading of the Holy Spirit for your life. You do have the capacity to choose your words, your behaviors, your choices, how you handle your emotions, your moods. We all have stories we tell ourselves, both positive and negative self-talk. The thoughts that we tend to feed tend to grow. And so you get to choose which thoughts am I going to feed and ruminate on and which ones am I not going to feed. I'm not going to keep stewing and brewing on that. You get to choose whether you will trust the character and choices of God or second-guess God. You get to choose the way that you'll relate to others. And this is the way that you get to exert your influence in the world. Reinhold Niebuhr says it this way in his famous serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Now, so often, we would rather that scripture said something like this. The fruit of the Spirit is, <laughs> kind of erase the self, the fruit of the Spirit is control. We'd rather not have the self in there. Like We'd rather not have to go through this healing, learning, growth, and change that Zachariah went through. We'd rather just have control than self-control. That desire for control, which is what we see in Zechariah's story, it can take many different shapes. 
it can take the shape of enmeshed relationships where the thoughts, needs, opinions, interests, hobbies, and decisions of different people are treated as if they have to line up. I have to think what you think, etc. It can take the shape of detachment where you cut people off, you unfriend them, you break up, you move, you split, you divorce. It's the my way or the highway move. It can take the shape of resisting help, trying to be the lone wolf, refusing to ask for help, refusing to delegate because you want control. It can take the shape of not being able to rest until someone sees things your way, which you could call that enmeshment, but it might be you're just giving a bunch of unsolicited advice you can't take someone else's no for an answer. You want to do their thinking for them. You want to try and convince them to come to the same conclusions that you've come to. It's control. It can take the shape of blame. Like, you know the way things should go in your mind. And so you know what other people are getting wrong and what they need to do differently. And so you start pointing it all out. It can take the shape of manipulation. Passive-aggressive comments, withholding, underhanded moves, talking to people behind their back. It can take the shape of trying to change the way other people see you. Attempting to gain their approval by what you do or don't do. Avoiding their disapproval. It's seeking control. It can take the shape of a whole bunch of anxious energy and worry. We all crave control. And we all have our own experiences of God giving us opportunities for our relationship to control, to be healed. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We all have our own spiritual journey of coming face-to-face with ourselves, learning what we can and cannot control. The spirit desires to grow self-control within you. So a final reflection and discussion question. Imagine God empowering you to relate your desire for control in a healthier way this week. What specific change, step, action, or shift are you imagining?
Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.